Do you ever feel like there are so many health and wellness products out there that you're left feeling totally overwhelmed? You wish you could just skip the trial and error and just know exactly what will work for you. Well, I've partnered with an amazing new service that can help you do just that. It's called Wild Health, and it's a precision medicine service. They combine an in-depth genetic analysis with extensive blood work and a lifestyle assessment to provide you with a fully comprehensive picture of your health. It's like you've never seen it before. You'll receive a 50-plus page personalized health report covering everything from your optimal diet, exercise, supplement routine, to your risk of chronic disease and prevention strategies. You also get paired with a dedicated doctor and health coach who will help you understand and apply the biggest opportunities for maximizing your health. Your team might recommend a mindfulness plan or hot-cold therapy instead of going straight to prescriptions. It's truly a different approach to health, driven not only by your data, but your lifestyle. Your biology is unique, and it's time that your healthcare caught up with it. Get started with Wild Health and enjoy 20% off with code DRFIT20 at wildhealth.com. That's D-R-F-I-T-2-0 at wildhealth.com for 20% off. to the Fit and Fabulous podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Jamie, and welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. I'm super excited that you're here with us today, and thanks for everybody that has listened to all our previous episodes and downloaded and liked and left your questions. We always value your feedback. So on today's podcast, I want to welcome you all and introduce you to Eric Reynolds. He is a retired wounded cop. He is the son of a female homicide sergeant from Miami. And in 2012, he was shot. And I can't wait for him to tell that story for all of us. He suffered from heart disease, PTSD. He was just metabolically sick. He then went on to lose 75 pounds through being a keto carnivore, became a licensed sports nutritionist and personal trainer in 2020 with a focus on first responders health. He's helped thousands of first responders with health and PTSD, and he now is a full-time RV family. And for those on YouTube, you can see literally he's, he's literally in an RV park right now. And, uh, he runs a retreat program called cops and campers. And I can't wait to talk about that too. So Eric, welcome to the fit and fabulous podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here. I'll tell you that. Well, you know, I have a soft spot for law enforcement as uh, Ben was a, a 15 years in law enforcement and a police sergeant. So thank you for your contribution to your community and to the world. But it sounds like you grew up maybe in a law enforcement family. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my, you know, my mom was a typical, you know, young woman in the 70s, you know, trying to go to college. And my dad was in the Air Force and they had a weekend up there at Florida State. And next thing you know, she became a military wife and had to drop out of school. And eventually things didn't work out with them. And about four years old, I think she went on a blind date with a fireman. And he goes, hey, you know, the county is hiring uh, police officers. And she was like, what? Police officers? She never imagined it. And she applied for the benefits. And she ended up becoming a police officer down in Miami in 1975. I mean, way back, you know, she's a pioneer in that profession. Yeah. I can't imagine there was a ton of women back then. I mean, did she ever talk about that? Like how many other females were there in the police force? Yeah, there's some crazy uh, stories she shared. I mean, there's a lot of uh, sexism and, you know, hey, toots, what's going on today's type of mentality back then, you know, and 
back then they thought law enforcement had to be big and strong and tough type of thing. But, you know, I learned throughout my career, you know, having a good head on your shoulders and be able to communicate was much more effective over a career than just trying to beat somebody over the head. And she proved it. I mean, she became a homicide sergeant. She's been in some documentaries. There's actually a movie coming out or a series on Netflix where she's one of the characters on the show. So there's an actor playing an actress playing her on the show. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's called it's called Zelda. Um, Sophia Vergara is playing the uh, Black Widow, who's the uh, Colombian drug cartel leader that used to execute a lot of her husbands. That's why she was called Black Widow. So, wow, it's, it should be pretty cool to see my mom's character in the show. And there's even a little Eric guy on the show that uh, I don't have any influence on this part. So hopefully he's a carnivore, not some uh, <laughs> never mind. I don't want to go there. Soy boy. I guess I was going to say it anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> That's so, that's so cool. I know Ben would love, uh, we don't watch a ton of TV. Uh, we dropped cable a number of years ago, but we've got, um, we've got Netflix and, uh, yeah, you know, her. It, it's the same producers that did the narco series. So it should be pretty intense. So, I mean, we're looking forward to it. My mom gets a call from Hollywood when they saying, Hey, we saw your story in a book. We want to talk to you. And then they just wrote down everything. So it goes back to her being a tough cop, you know, a tough mom on me. Cause she had to. And then quite a few times if I was late for practice or something, there'd be a marked police car that would pick me up and take me to practice because she was, you know, out there solving crimes. So it was a different way of growing up. I'll tell you that. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell us what inspired you then to go into law enforcement. Well, I always was involved in catching stuff going down. I'd pull into a parking lot and there's loss prevention chasing somebody, you know, and I'd help them out. And I ended up after college applying for like a store like Macy's doing law, you know, loss prevention, eventually got my own store, moved up the ranks a little bit. And then that department in Boynton Beach, where I ended up being employed, they kept asking me, hey, man, you keep tackling and fighting with all these shoplifters. Why don't you come join us? You get a Batman belt, you get a gun, you get pepper spray and all kinds of stuff and a pension. I was like, yeah, I'm about 30 years old. I need to start thinking about stuff like that. And I applied and eventually got the job. So. So then tell us, um, you know, in your career, you had obviously a very scary situation that happened, probably not the first, but if you're willing to share any part of that story, I know our listeners would love to hear it. Yeah, I, I tend to break down at different parts in it because it was a very traumatic event, but it was a typical work shift. You know, I'd done a lot of specialty units, a lot of different things within my career, and I was kind of contemplating getting promoted or, you know, doing like a field training officer position where you help the young guys, teach them the ropes kind of being a mentor. So I was back on road patrol after, and there's a regular call that you get, like a bolo for a, you know, a bank robber that was in another city. We get them all the time. And, you know, you always pay attention to the make and model and kind of the direction they're going. And sure enough, a car matching description came through our city. I picked it up. You know, there's a couple of tense moments where he stopped in the middle of the road and I didn't light him up, like pull, try to pull him over. I was just kind of doing an investigative tour you kind of investigate, following him, seeing what's up, get them calling it out. And he stops in the middle of the road and we wait there a few seconds. And then uh, looking back, I would have got ambushed if I got out of my car at that point, but I didn't realize it till later. And he finally takes off. We get a little car chase. And after about a mile and a half, he finally crashes and he crashed kind of suddenly. So we rolled up on him a little bit, not tactically safe. And I got out of my car expecting him to run. And then all of a sudden I saw the ground and I saw the muzzle flash coming out of his door. So he couldn't get his door open. All he could, all he did was reach out and just start, you know. So I was out moving, you know, it's like the wild west, like you see on TV, right? I'm dancing and I keep moving to the left and I'm firing back 
you know, suppression fire. I'm just like, get away from me, you know, just trying to buy myself a few seconds. And Austin Monroe, another officer that had pulled up with me, he had exchanged gunfire with the suspect. And eventually we got next to each other. Bad guys trying to clear it around. We approached the car and we put, I don't know, a bunch of rounds in, into the bad guy at the point. And he ended up dying at the scene. They pulled us back. And then I realized I got shot through my left foot. And they also took a graze off my right shin. And yeah, it was still surreal at that moment. You know, your ears are like, wah, you know, and very intense moment, you know, looking yeah. back, especially. Um, yeah, I don't know why we keep going because there's all yeah. kinds of. Well, and then, you know, how, I mean, how people develop PTSD is you have such an adrenaline dump that that literally like imprints it into your, you know, like your hippocampus and like into your brain. And I'm sure even just telling the story, like you can smell the smells and you can like hear, you know, like the sounds and things. My husband, um, talked about when I, I invited him on the podcast and, um, awesome. he, yeah, he had a, he had a situation a number of years ago that, um, it was like, it was like one of those near misses, like, right. You don't even know how many you have, but, um, somebody tried to pull a gun out and shoot him at close range and the gun got caught in the guy's waist belt. And like, had it not gotten caught, like what would have happened, you know? Um, and so we're really thankful, Eric, that you made it through that because now you're changing lives and, but tell us a little bit. So you go through this horrible traumatic event, like what was your health like at the time? Were you healthy back then? Or like where, how did you, how did you end up, you know, with, with all these other health problems? Well, I was Mr. November of 2008, right, for our police calendar, but I wasn't all that. It was just a more of a charity thing, and some of us put tight shirts on, and I wasn't all that jacked up, but I was in the, probably at that point, about 220 pounds. I'd always played football, so I always lifted to be kind of bulky. Um, that's just how I lifted, to keep guys off my gun and in a fight. That's how I kind of thought, you know, so I was always the burly kind of heavy set, you know, barely, you know, I look like kind of like a bear, like a lot of cops look, right, and the time of the shooting, about the same. And then, you know, I just had a five-month-old son. He was five months around the time I got shot. So I was adjusting to fatherhood. And, you know, you're, everything's a little different. You're eating different. Your time and sleep management's different. Everything's affected, you know, when you get this little guy in your world. So I was at first, I was at home for three months because my foot had to heal. I had to go through physical therapy and all, you know, a lot of nerve damage and stuff like that. I didn't know if I was going to be able to feel my foot completely. There was a lot of concern, but I spent every day with him, man. It was, man, it was therapeutic, right? So when it got time to go back to work, it came back, Uh oh, going back out there. And then every call was a lot more serious than it used to be, you know, and that plays on you through a whole shift, through a whole week, through a whole month, through a whole six months. And I started gaining weight. I started drinking more to kind of calm my central nervous system down. I mean, I didn't realize it then what was going on, but, you know, hypervigilant and just everything was, I was trying to like circle the wagons, keep my family at home. I didn't let my wife go anyway. No, I'll go to the store. You stay home with the kids, you know, or you, you know, it was just a whole nother me at that point. And as that stress increased, you know, my weight increased, you know, and then when my buddies died of a heart attack, he had stents put in a couple of years before. And it was very concerning when he passed away. And I started looking at myself, you know, because he was in better shape than I was. He was a canine guy, man. He could outrun all of us. One of those guys, you always hear about, oh, the guy ran marathons or whatever, best shape, you know. 
And that scared me. And then, you know, I met a guy playing basketball and he started telling, talking to me about ketogenic. And I thought keto was some karate moves or something. I didn't know anything about it. Right. Just like a lot of us, they don't really share that information with us. So, you know, and I, you know, was diagnosed with heart disease. You know, they wanted to put stents in me. I had one of those CAC scores come back around almost 1500. Wow. And, and my wife was Man, she could have, she would have gone and become a naturopathic doctor. She's always healed a body with, you know, spices and plants and all kinds of natural remedies. <laughs> and she's a hard charger. She went natural childbirth for all three of our kids, breastfed them for three years. She, she's read and read and she knows her stuff, even though she may not have the diploma on the wall. You know what I'm saying? You probably know tons of people like that. And she's an expert and she kept talking to me. Ah, don't do the statins. Don't, there's gotta be other ways. And Keto was a, a blessing. It showed up out of nowhere at the perfect time because I was teetering. You know, I went through opiate crisis with the doctors in South Florida. We arrested doctors for, you know, writing scripts for profit, like all that. I've seen it. So I'm not a big pharma believer. I believe in Western medicine on some level. So it's just, I was with her on that side. Of She's like, ah, don't be so quick to just jump into the pills or, you know, get some of that stuff. And that. Yeah opened my eyes. I started reading, becoming more self-aware of what I'm doing, you know? So this guy on the basketball court tells you about keto and you didn't know, did you just have no clue what that even was? Well, he was a college athlete at one time. He put on 50 pounds and that's how I met him. I know knew him as the 50 pound guy on the basketball court. Right. And all of a sudden he lost all this weight and he started getting high up on the rim, grabbing the rim and stuff. Mm. He's about my height. And I'm like, man, I haven't grabbed the rim since 10th grade. Cause that's when I started getting a lot more body fat put on it. When I look back in my days and he was like, yeah, man, ever since I lost the weight, I'm quicker, man. I can't tell you about my brain. It's about fat for fuel. I was like, fat for fuel. Cause <laughs> I came from fat is bad. You know, just like everyone makes you fat. Like every- so I read about it. He sent me the link to ketogenic.com. Not to give them anything, but that was the first thing I ever typed in. And I read up on it and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I started trying some of the recipes and I just committed to, it. I got the little app, my macro app or, you know, your macros and let's cut, you know, let's look at the back of boxes. Let's really understand this and instant success right off the bat. Like within a month, I was down 20 pounds over six months, I was down 50, like a lot of people. And then, you know, your body plateaus, you start to tweak with stuff. And then I kind of stopped at about 204, 205 pounds until I did carnivore, you know, and I retired at the same time. So th- those combinations of carnivore and no job, yeah, stress, the, no stress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me, did you feel a difference? Like why the transition to carnivore? Like if you were feeling so good or like, did you feel a difference transition? I mean, what was your ketogenic, I guess, answer for me that first, maybe like, what was your ketogenic diet? Like when you first started, first started, I got like a, what do they call them? The fathead pizzas. I made Mm -hmm. one of them and I had a couple of slices before my kids T-ball game. Cause I started fasting, you know, I tried to do the uh, 16 hour fast and it worked into the schedule and I wasn't hungry for like a couple, like a lot, like it's like one o'clock and it'd been like four hours. I was like, ah, all right. You know, and then I had something else and I wasn't hungry the rest of the day, you know? And understanding that, you know, I did, I didn't go through the keto flu, as they call it, I call it the, the carb flu or the sugar flu. You know, I just wasn't getting the supplements I need, like the magnesium and my, you know, obviously my salt. And so I got some of those mineral drops. I started adding to my water and I felt a lot better. And then, yeah. then it was home free, you know, and I just, I would cook on Sundays, you know, if football's going on, I'm baking two dishes for the week that I can take with me. You know, meal prep became big. I really committed to it, you know, and it turned out to be successful. And I started, you know, you lose 60 or 50 pounds at a job where you only have a hundred, 
80 cops around there, people starting to notice. You know, yeah, did people asking, start asking questions? Oh man, like crazy. And you know, they're like, man, what what happened to you? Where's the rest of you? You know, all these jokes, you know, and one guy just kept calling me keto. He's like, hey, keto, man, how, how'd you do? How'd you lose the weight, man? You know, and it blended right into 5-0, you know, Hawaii 5-0. We get called yeah. 5-0 in the hood and stuff like that. It was just a natural progression. I, and I had a little group text. Hey, guys, stay away from like Hellman's mayonnaise. It's got soy and all this stuff in it. Canola oil, right? And they're like, man, that other one you recommend is like $10. I go, you're talking about your health. You know, I'd go back and forth with them and stuff. And then I started the Facebook group and page and just started trying to build the audience and not just first responders, but it could be a sibling of one, a daughter or, you know, a father or whoever's just in the circle, you know, and yeah. it's doing pretty good. You know, I got a lot of comment, a lot of people that are looking for help. They talk to me off on the side. And then with this camping endeavor we've taken on, I meet a lot of retired military firemen, and police officers that I can tell they need help. You know, they just don't know what, what to do, you know? My husband used to tell stories all the time going to the police station and people would look at what he was eating and they're like, wait, what? Like that's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And then he's like, and then they get out their lunchbox and they've got like Doritos and a Mountain Dew. I mean, he would just tell me the junk that these police officers were eating. Right. And they're supposed to be like on top of their game and going into these difficult situations. And like, this is what they're feeling with. <laughs> it's like, um, so tell us, um, I tell never us finished, about, I was going to say, I never finished answering about how carnivore happened when I yeah, started. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. I ended up, I followed like Dr. Saladino. I saw him with my, my wife's a big Mercola guy. So I had seen, we were actually going to go to, I think white Oaks, uh, a beef white Oak farm pastures. Yeah, yeah. We were going to go there when they were speaking. It was like April, 2020 before COVID hit, we had our dates. We're going to go my guy first year guy. This would be awesome. You know, and got canceled. But ever since then, I read his book and I started following other doctors, you know, Sean Baker and then some of these other guys. It just opened my eyes and I was just like, wow, let me try this. It really makes sense. I I always ate vegetables out of guilt. Not going to yeah. lie. It just felt like I had to do it. I would take pills so I wouldn't have to eat the vegetables because I don't know. I think subconsciously, you know, with my two boys, they eat very organically and clean. Everything's like grass fed. And, you know, we try to control as much as we can. We can't control everything, of course. And I've seen it, how it affects them you know, and on a day-to-day basis. And I realized I was their body telling they don't like broccoli. So we don't have broccoli. My body told me that for 50 years. I never listened to it. You know, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. That's how I got on the carnivore. It was just, it was that book, you know, carnivore code that did it. And I was like, wow, I'm going to try this out. I love it. I love it. Okay. So now life in an RV, tell us what it was like to make that jump. So did you guys just like sell your house or do you still have a home base somewhere? It's slow indoctrination, I call it. My wife started looking at these tiny house shows, right? Oh, this is all yes. cute. Oh my gosh, yeah, my every, husband every... is going to die. We're like obsessed with tiny homes right now. And I'm not going to lie, they were cool. But when I was 245 pounds and I would get, you know, red face tying my shoes, bending over, the thought of crawling around a little tiny house like that just caused me nightmares and hitting my head and then PT, you know, banging my head against the wall. And then it was storage tank, you know, containers in the woods that you can stack them. And I'm like, oh my God. And then it was treehouse shows. I'm like, all right, what do I got to do? Let's try something out. And then in the summer of 2019, you know, I got that email from 23andMe and I found a a cop brother that um, was also a cop in Florida, two hours away. We never knew about my older brother now. And he'd been RVing for 10 years. 
Ah. So she's looking at me like that's a sign, right? And I was like, all right. So we rented a trailer. This is a full brother or a half brother? A half brother. My dad had him in 1968, never knew it. And, and he, he was the police up. officer. Turns out through the, yeah, he got adopted by a military family. And somehow we found each other. It was cool. We ended up on Fox and Friends in the morning. We got an interview with our nice civvies, you know, a nice class A's on and stuff. And anyways, he'd already been camping. So we camped with him. Here I am camping with my new big brother that I never knew about. And we're at St. Augustine Beach in Florida. And you could walk right out to the boardwalk, right to the beach. Oceans just, you know, and I was like, man, I think I could do this. Every day is a new spot when you open your door. Same bed, same kitchen, same everything. Your stuff's where you put it, you know, and you just yeah. take it around with you. So we sold our house. And we bought the truck and trailer right before prices got crazy. And we've been full-timing now for almost two and a half years. Homeschooling, we pulled them out in 2018 before anything. Like like I said, a crystal ball is helping us along the way. Something is guiding us to this path because we pull our kid out of school, I retire, and then COVID hits and everyone's freaking out in the world. And we're living on campsites like this where we don't even realize what's going on out there. My kids never felt it, you know? So how old are your kids now? They're 10 and 6. And they started when we were obviously, they were eight and four. So my four-year-old now is going to be seven. He pretty much, this is his whole life. This is all yeah. he knows. It's awesome. I mean, we saw five Great Lakes last summer. We touched it. We swam in it, tasted it. We got rocks, like all five. It was tremendous. I mean, I'm a Miami kid. All I saw was the Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico. And to see those Great Lakes was just, wow, you know. And we've been all over the Northeast, you know, and it's just been I can't believe this is what I'm doing. We're driving down the roads and we're seeing the mountains and stuff. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, it's incredible. And um, yeah, I was just about to ask like how far you've driven. Like, are you, are there goals to see like most of the United States? Do you kind of stay in one area? Like, how do you decide where you go next? Well, originally we want to do Maine and then kind of cut around the different areas. But in 2020, everything kind of got shut down. So we kind of stayed North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida area. I mean, we're from Florida, so it's our home base. And then last year we saw five Great Lakes. I got in trouble on a campground for flying my thin blue line flag. <laughs> and I got suspended from our camping. Oh Thousand Trails uh, canceled me, suspended me for two months for being belligerent to their staff, which I kind of was because they were telling me to take down an American flag. I, I kind of lost it. And now wow. you can definitely see the PTSD if you find that. It's on my social media stuff. You can see me kind of losing it, but five, four different campgrounds in New York, upstate New York called through social media or whatever and said, Hey, come bring your flag, fly it proudly. And you got a week on us. And we ended up staying all over upstate New York. And that's what turned into the whole cops and campers retreat kind of group that we started and not to lead into that, but that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Yeah. No, tell us, tell us more about that. Yeah. Cops and campers. Why? I got notified by Spruce Row in Ithaca, New York. And the guy's like, hey, man, that's terrible what happened. We support the blue. Come bring your flag here. And you got the VIP spot on us. So I pull up. It's an awesome spot in front of the whole place. And that weekend, they had a charity. It was a police charity for some charity. I, I can't remember, remember what it was. But there's cops everywhere. And I was just people coming up to me. They were giving me, like, these challenge coins and all kinds of stuff. And it was such a warm feeling be around all those guys and then this hearing war stories and then you can open up in those circles you know i did a documentary called cops and cabins where they took eight of us in 2017 i'm really metabolically sick i hadn't i'm, I'm probably about five months away from keto and you can tell i got the heavy i'm just inflamed i can you know see it now 
And it was a retreat program, eight of us from different departments in a cabin in Blue Ridge Mountains in Georgia. And they filmed it, did a short film and just talking. And that was so therapeutic that I started thinking we should do this on campsites because I already meet a ton of cops, a ton of military and a ton of firemen. Let's start having a retreat program. And eventually I want professionals, you know, like yourself and these other people I can really kind of, because I can tell them until I'm blue in the face. They trust me a little bit because I'm a cop but they're still hung on their old doctors. They're still hung on the old system. A lot of them, you know, I got to take my blood pressure. I got to take my cholesterol meds. I got to not eat red meat and this, and it's tough to break them out of that mold, you know, but I always tell them, Hey man, I'm part of a network of health conscious. And these are warriors. And they're a lot of them are real doctors. I can see it. You don't have to be just stuck, you know, in that little world. So that's my goal with it to get us together, keep, get them on board with nutrition get them off the meds, get them to live longer on their pensions, get them to find a friend or two. We all need it. A lot of us retire and we lose our identity and we're like, they don't, we don't know who we are mm-hmm. without that job. That's why a lot of us get back into it. But meanwhile, you got 30 years of trauma in your head and now you're carrying it over in this next career. And I don't know, that's why we die 12 years faster than the average Joe, you know? Yeah. That's my goal. I want to save lives. And it's, I've been given this gift and I help cops off the time. I mean, I stay in donut shops give my card. Amen. When you're ready, I'm not going to force you now, but I just call me. Yeah. It's just been awesome. And, you know, I've done a couple of the low carb USA events and stuff like that and gotten to know and meet different practitioners, some of the heroes like Dr. Barry. I'm like, man, I'm so I'm in, I'm in it now. My new gang, it's no longer the police department, even though I'm still part of it, but this is my new gang, you know, and I'm going to yeah. try to come, try to combine them, you know? I love it. Okay. So then you went on to become a, um, a trainer and get additional training in sports nutrition. So do you do one-on-one coaching group coaching? Like how do you connect with these, uh, first responders? A lot of it's one-on-one, you know? Um, and if I'm in that city, like right now we'll be in North Carolina and Tennessee next week. Um, I, I do sit down, you know, we'll go, we'll go to a, we'll go to a diner and have breakfast or something like that. And, you know, we'll eat, a regular good ass omelet with bacon and, you know, minus the bread and the potatoes and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, the way I work is I, I don't need you very long. Once I teach you the right way and the way to eat and you watch a couple of documentaries like magic pill, fat fiction and fat and all that, you start really understanding and read a couple of books. Oh, we have a better one coming called food lies. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And that just opens people's eyes and then they don't need really need me. They don't need me anymore. You know what to do. Now it's up to you. If you're driving by Wendy's, if you want to put that poison in your body or that Chick-fil-A that you think is a healthier option, it's on you at that point. I'm not going to be able to ride shotgun with you the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's been successful. Some guys, I find the hardest thing is when families aren't on board with what the guy's trying to do or the wife or the husband's not on board. That causes a lot of problems sometimes in the house because they've been so set in their ways with the way they've been eating and stuff like that. Yeah. When you came home and told your wife that you were going to be ketogenic, like, tell me, was she already like way ahead of you? And like, you were the outlier or like, what was that transition? Like, cause I know there's a lot of people listening that I get the question a lot in families. Like my spouse doesn't want to do this or what do I feed my kids? Talk to us about feeding a family. Well, her thing was trying to eliminate alcohol all the time. You know, and I was like, man, I need something, you know, I didn't want to pop pills. So I, I kind of went to like vodka and sparkling water just to freaking chill the uh, demons down and stuff like that. And that, ma- that helps a lot of other guys. They're like, all right, I could still drink a little bit. I like a little bit. 
I'll go pound in the whole bottle, but I got to get you somewhere first, get you off of the other stuff. And my wife was just, she watched a lot of the stuff I was watching too. And through organically, she was like, that makes sense, you know, about her thyroid and, you know, oxalates and stuff like that. And, you know, she was on board. She was ahead of me on not going the pill route or asking my doctor for help to lose weight and stuff like that. She was, you know, and plus her father suffered through it. He ended up dying in surgery, you know, after having some complications. Was it septus or something when your intestines are bleeding out? Yeah. So, so yeah. she was, you know, she, she was already there. She was way ahead of me. Now I look back, she's just waiting for me to catch up. So how do you cook for a family in an RV? That's like, my, when I look at these tiny homes, I'm always like, I don't know. I like my giant refrigerator and. <laughs> we have two freezers. And we have, uh, I cook about every two days. I cook a bunch. I'll cook like 16 burgers, a couple ribeyes. They'll do some plantains and sometimes we'll slice up some potatoes or something just to get a little bit of carbs for the kids. Um, and we eat leftovers, you know, they do a lot of like frozen berries and honey and stuff like that. We do bone broth every morning. Um, I do bone broth in my coffee. I'm, you know, being a cop, I still like my coffee in the morning. I know it's not hundred percent carnivore and all that, but I still have, that's one of my crutches, but I do the bone broth in it with heavy cream and then boom. You know, I'm gone for like four hours. I don't need to get until like 12 or one o'clock. I just ride it. I'm, you know, full of energy. And then, you know, that whole fasting state overnight. And man, it's been the best thing for me. And I never knew that just letting your body relax from eating would be so healthy because we were never taught that. You got to feed the body every six hours. Keep that metabolism going, you know? Yeah. Uh, how do you train, exercise, lift weights in these RV parks? Well, a lot of them are hiking trails. So you can get your cardio in. I do have weights with me. I have, I got bands. I got a portable pull-up bar that I can do a bunch of different exercises with, but I still have a couple of gym memberships. You know, I'll kind of look at campgrounds and say, oh, this one's, you know, 20 minutes away from a gym. And this one might be five minutes, you know, and plot it out through those popular gyms. And I'll go there too, you know, but I like Dr. Ben's resistance training that I've been doing. And I can do that easily at the trailer park. My wife can do it. The kids start doing it. Next thing you know, we're all out there, you know, looking like this hippie family, you know, <laughs> kind of crazy. You're probably, uh, you're probably turning heads in the RV park. You can probably just start knocking on doors. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Though. It's been, uh, and it, you know, the stretch in this kind of nature outside, you know, just breathing in. I mean, it's so different than being inside the gym. So half the time I'm like, I'm just going to stay here and get my lift yeah. in there. Plus, plus when I lost 75 pounds, I went from like 245 to 175 and I got my body fat from like, I think it was 29% down to 15%, which was a lot for me. And I saw my abs for the first time and I was feeling lighter than I had since eighth grade. That's a long time. You know, I was probably 14 then. And it's like a whole new you know, I joke with my wife, she's got a new man now, you know, it's a different guy, you know, more vigor, you know, I got more energy. I'm always on the prowl and she's like, get away from me. That damn carnivore diet, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously you've lost weight and you have, you know, told people how great you feel. Have you had your heart scanned again since you found out you had a high CAC score? No, I had not gone again. One of the reasons was I didn't like how much radiation I was exposed to with that. Yeah. I started looking up how much it was. And then I talked to, uh, what's his name? Dr. Uh, Agustin. 
Is that it? Yeah, the guy he, that invented I, the CAC I, score. <laughs> I, I, I talked to I talked to him in Boca and told him my situation. And he thinks that that's just old old news and that I'm fine based on the way my life's going and based, you know, my my, my A1C is still 5.1. Like all my other numbers are good, you know. Even though they say according to the my testosterone is low, according to the numbers, not dangerously low or anything. But you know they're always playing with the numbers. You know they're low on yeah. blood pressure, they're low on cholesterol, they're low on testosterone. There's always this, and I don't feel it at all. None of the other, I have no other symptoms from it, so I don't, you know, concern myself too much with it right yeah. now. Yeah, and you know, I think that back in the day we didn't think that coronary artery calcium could be reversed, but you know, Ivor Cummins and other people have certainly shown case studies of of it. My own mother has had some uh, scans done on her heart recently. Um, and over a period of time with some lifestyle changes, her calcium score went down like 200 points. So, I mean, I think that there is something to be said that, you know, people that come into, you know, keto or carnivore or whatever, they may have pre-existing disease. And certainly there are risks still, you know, that, that we need to, to acknowledge, but I think that it's never too late, you know, to, to start. So talk to us a little bit more, Eric, about the PTSD, because I know there's veterans, there's first responders and people listening that mental health PTSD is such a huge issue for this community. Can you talk about just the experience with your mental health and transitioning to this lifestyle? Well, after I got shot, you know, you obviously feel everything's heavier. Anytime an officer gets shot, it could be in another part of the world. You feel it on a whole nother level. We had the privilege of being honored in Washington, DC in 2013 as national officers of the month for February. We got up there with every other month of that year, these officers, the guys that got in a shootout with the Boston bombers were there. I mean, it was a class of freaking people there. Right. And I felt honored to be even amongst them. I mean, here's a small time cop out of Boyden and, but it was traumatic to go to, cause we're at the candlelight visual and you're seeing all the fallen officers, families and stuff like that. That just, you, you start to build this survivor's guilt almost in a weird way. Like why me, you know, I don't know. And it just kind of gets in there. So then I got an evidence job for about six years and wrote out my career. But every time I had to put that uniform on, I was in a heightened awareness. It was getting, it was really affecting my brain and my relationship with my wife and my kids. I was short-tempered. I was just getting, I knew I was going to shoot again. There's no doubt. I just, you know, and that's what I was hiding in evidence for the last six years. You know, if I, if I got into another situation again, there was, and I was going to pull the trigger and then I was scared about the results. Would I shoot somebody that's innocent? It was just a crazy call or was it, was I too slow to shoot? That was another thing. I don't want to get gunned down because I'm anticipating or second guessing myself. So that all gets in there. And then the, the worst part was trying to seek help for it. Uh, workers comps fine for covering my foot and my leg that's visible injuries to them they don't know the day-to-day that's the wear and tear that was going on and i needed to talk to somebody it's pretty much what it, i needed to do you know i didn't need pills you know i didn't need you know yoga i needed to talk to a therapist of some level and i wanted you know i didn't want a psychiatrist i want a psychologist so i had to go for workers comp and battle with them i think there was four lawyers in the room I maybe break down in front of it. Hold on. See? Yeah. It's emotional for you. It is. Well, that's why guys don't go get help. Yeah. You know? So 
they finally got the help. They approved it, you know, and it was such a freaking joke. And then, you know, we settled when I retired just so I didn't have to deal with them and they didn't want to deal with me, you know, and, but I talk to guys all the time. They were like, no way. I would never even go to a boss. I wouldn't tell nobody, you know, and I'm like, dude, it's a shame, you know, because it really did help me when I saw Dr. Burnett and I first walked in there, he goes, Eric, you're going to have to learn how to dance with this, you know, it's not going away, you know, you have to manage it, you know, and exercise turned out to be one of the best things in my nutrition, you know, by feeding my brain cholesterol, which went against the agenda, you know, healthy fats, you know, good grass fed, you know, beef and some organ meats and stuff like that. My brain suddenly, it was the inflammation, you know, everything just started calming down. I'm not saying I don't have issues, you know, I can still get in the red, I still get frustrated. I work on that, you know, slow is fast. I try to keep myself grounded, you know, that's why being around my kids helped me. I think they saved my life. You know, having kids in my 40s rather than, you know, being a empty nester, you know, no one around. And we've all we've all sold a piece of our soul for that pension, you know, and we all have our demons that we have, you know, and that's why this cops and campers, this kind of stories I heard guys hadn't shared before. It's so therapeutic. And even their wives came up like crying saying, thank you, you know, so. Sorry. That's so awesome. Yeah. No, that's okay. It means, you know, it means something to you when, um, and somebody listening, you know, for those of you that can't tell Eric is like, <laughs> he's, he's getting emotional, but, um, <laughs> but it means something. And there's somebody listening. That's going to, that's going to resonate with them. And it resonates with me a lot being married to somebody in law enforcement and watching them walk out the door every single day. And, try to, you know, they're supposed to put on this face and put on the uniform and act tough. And, you know, they're not supposed to show weakness and they're not supposed to cry in front of people. And, um, they do like they're humans, like they're, they're humans and they deal with human level problems. And so I th- you're, you're going to touch somebody, Eric, you know, with, with telling your story. So, um, Okay. Let's no more. <laughs> We're not going to talk Sorry. about any status. No, I was going to. I was going to say, you know, the experience to be in something like that, and I know other officers or military or anybody has been through any type of trauma. It was such a primal place to go at that moment of the shooting and making the decision to go ahead and kill another life. I mean, it was just like, like some barbaric thing that's from our old DNA back when we were, you know, invading countries or defending our countries, you know, and it's not a fun place to go to. It's a very scary place to go because you're almost not that you're out of control, but you're in a whole new level. And I never tapped into that before playing all the sports I did having all the head injuries from concussions and stuff. And this is a whole nother level. And it scares me. You know, that's why I had to get out. I had to get out of my career. Don't be scared to leave money on the table to save your life. You know, that's one of the yeah. other things that cops hang on for. Yeah. Would you, uh, would you let your boys go into law enforcement if they wanted to? I'm thinking like, have you thought about it? To, like we got to like Montana or something, they become ranch type <laughs> cowboys or maybe work for the forestry. You know, I don't want them doing city cop, going to domestics, trying to, I mean, unfortunately I love helping people, but it's, it's a sad case, you know, time after time, you know, they, they don't call you for the birthday party. They call you because someone showed up at the birthday party to mess everything up, you know, and yeah. You know, I see so many small guys, smaller town cops, and they're awesome. They love their jobs. I'm like, man, it's like Mayberry. You know, that's not where I work. 
you know, it wasn't the most violent city, but one of the safest, you know, it wasn't Chicago. I think that's, I think that's a testament sometimes to small town living. And I'm sure that's what you're experiencing too. You know, just going from RV park to RV park that sometimes just, you know, unplugging, uh, from the big, the big cities and big machines and, um, can be really therapeutic, you know, even if it's for a short period of time, you know, sometimes. Well, you know, I, we, we worked on a farm in Pennsylvania for three months over the summer. It was a a beef farm. And I learned how to, I learned how to slaughter a bull, a pig. I learned how to drive a tractor. It was like, it was like the coolest like summer camp thing I could have done as an adult. You know, I mean, it was hard work. Farm work was no joke. I mean, I got some of the best workouts. I didn't need a gym, you know? And so don't, you know, don't forget to go out to your, like, you know, your farmer's market, meet some of these farmers and get out there. And they love to show you how it's done and where your food comes from. And sometimes you get a deal on a half hour, quarter cow or something too. So, yeah. Is it, uh, is it hard to find places to shop when you're like, I mean, you must be having to do some serious reconnaissance with like where, where you're going and. Yeah, we have to, we always are asked. That's why we go to farmers are. Yeah. We walk right in we find out who, what farmers are, what, and they're a close community, you know, like certain States, my wife loves raw goat milk. You know, she's has problems with trough pasteurized milk. Like a lot of people do. And my kids love it. But some states, you got to be part of a share. Some states, you can't sell it to people only for animal consumption, but you're walking out with it in your hand anyways. You just got to <laughs> learn all the damn rules that come along with it. And same with some of the beef farms, you know, where you call ahead. We have the networks that we use, you know, to follow. And um, if there's two campgrounds and one's close to a beef farm that we like, we're going to that one. That's kind of how it yeah. works, you know. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, um, Eric, tell people how they can find you, how they could maybe work with you if there's first responders that are listening. Okay. You can always reach me at keto50.com. That's my website. You can see some of the before and after. Uh, you see a lot of the podcasts that I've done. This one will be on there as soon as it's able to be released. Um, the same with Twitter and Instagram and all that. It's all keto50, the YouTube and I had to do TikTok, which, you know, I'm not, you know, I left law enforcement not to get into social media and here I am trying to get into social media. So, um, but it's been awesome and you can reach me to those platforms and also uh, through cops and campers, you know, any cops that like the camp or military people want to be part of these get togethers. We've got one coming next year in June in Ithaca, New York, our second one, the one we did last year, we're working on the uh, short film that we just completed. And that should be really cool to see how the cops felt being a part of that event. I'll be able to use that to share it and hopefully have more of these programs across the country. That's so awesome. And, you know, I know that, um, the political climate in law enforcement has been, you know, tenuous these last couple of years. So I love giving law enforcement the opportunity to connect with their communities and just for people to realize that these are just real people and there's bad people everywhere. There's bad doctors. And, um, I just can't thank you enough, Eric, for being so brave and courageous and telling your story today and, um, for your service, you know, your many years of, of giving back to your community and, and following in your mom's footsteps, which I think is so badass. That's so awesome. Um, I'm, I know she's, I know she's super proud of you. So, well, thank well, you. Thank you for the- Thank you so much. And you're, you're rocking, you're doing awesome things. You know, like I say, you know, I've been following you and all use, you know, nutritional warriors that are out there really helping a lot of people. And there is a movement coming. 
we're gonna have to fight because they don't want this movement, you know, to succeed. Yeah. But as far as I'm in, I'm I'm in the fight. I'm on your team. So anything you ever need, you reach out to me. I got you. And your husband too. I gotta give. I gotta send him a challenge coin. Both of you guys. Yeah. I, well, if it. that RV ever makes it, it makes its way up to the Midwest, uh, we got we got a place for you to park it. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Did you guys love that last episode of the Fit and Fabulous podcast? Well, of course you did. And I want to keep bringing you the most amazing content from the most incredible people. And you can help me by subscribing to the Dr. Fit and Fabulous channel. You guys know where the button is. Just click it. It's the doctor's orders.